Welcome, Robert. Welcome, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here uh, today talking with you guys. How are you doing? It's great to be here. It's a perfect day. It's a little rainy here, and so it's perfect to be online chatting to everyone. Good. So, you guys have made a lot of work, and we have a lot of uh, stuff that we uh, can cover. And um, let's start by, by saying, uh, when uh, did you find out about the Mr. Project and uh, what you thought about it, uh, Alan? No, that's a good question. It was, um, must be three years ago, I think. I'd have to look about building it and it was the, just a link to the GitHub page and I Oh, you, you're, we're, we can't hear you clearly, Alan, sorry. Uh, maybe uh, speak closer to the microphone or, or turn off noise reduction. Is that better? Uh, yeah, it's better. Okay, if not, I can switch to a better computer. I think I left my headphones in the car. Um, yeah, I, I started, I think, I don't know how many years ago, three maybe, and I saw it on Hacker News and I sat on it for a bit and then I ordered all sorts of boards and parts and I built 10 IO boards and 10 sticks and it was crazy because I had never done surface mount before and, and I gave them away as Christmas presents to all my friends because I figured my friends have everything and it's impossible to get a gift them. Um, so that's how I started. Oh, you're. St I don't know if uh, everybody else uh, can, can. Okay, let me switch computers. On. Yeah, sorry, no problem. Meanwhile, uh, Robert, uh, how about you? Uh, how did you find about uh, Mister Project and uh, what you thought? Uh, in my case, it's more like a project found me. So I was uh, posting about the GBA core maybe one and a half year ago on Reddit. Yeah. And the first responses was, uh, will you port it to the mister? And I didn't know much about it before. And this evening I learned it. <laughs> this evening I, I joined the, the Discord uh, from Classic Gaming and found out about the project. And I would say I, I never left it <laughs> after this day. Yeah, I can imagine. This is, uh, you're talking about the, F, uh, the FPGBA project, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw that. It's very interesting because you also were developing uh, a model C-sharp GBA emulator uh, with it, right? Yes, I, I've done this for all my course. I have always uh, developed a software emulator before just to, to understand how the system works and to try little things. It's always easier to do. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, Specifically, uh, many people wonder about uh, this topic. I will will probably get a lot more into into this topic later on after after we kind of introduce ourselves. But what is the main advantage that you see in doing that approach, like building the software emulator and then changing to FPGA? For me, uh, the main uh, reason I did it was. Uh... I didn't know much about the system at all before. So if, if I would have started with the FPGA core uh, directly, it would have been a long way with lots of mistakes. And I would need to uh, change maybe the architecture later on. And if I do the software implementation before, I already know what I have to do. 
I know all the little details that need to be in the design. And it's often if you if you do something, the second time you could do it better. So it really helps. And for prototyping in, in software, it's just faster. Ah, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, meanwhile, uh, while we wait for for Alex, which which who probably just uh, hey yeah, he just joined us. Hi, hi Alan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm more clear yeah, now. Yeah, way more clear, Alan. Thank you. Okay, I have a my Mister PC Development Box has a totally inexpensive webcam that I think has terrible audio. I should probably get a new one. Um, but this is better. Yeah, I started, I just checked and 20, November 2017, I sent a note to one of my friends, hey, we should solder this together. Um, and in college, I wrote a software Commodore emulator. So I've always been interested in emulation, uh, a C64. But when I saw Mr., I thought, wow, that's really neat. Because when writing a software emulator, it's really hard to synchronize all of the different chips and get them to run in the right time. And I thought, well, this would be something fun to play with. And so I built, I think I started to say I built, I think, 10 and then 20 boards wow. myself, which I would never do again. I <laughs> order them all online now. And it was the perfect gift for all of my tech friends who, you know, have everything. And so none of them had a mister. And a few who were impossible to buy Christmas presents for, um, you know, they played their favorite Zork or whatever. No, you, you made their, and, their uh, days for, cert for certain. Yeah, for sure. And back then it wasn't, I don't think, there were barely any sellers, so it was perfect. Like there was no way they could solve it with money at that point. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's amazing how fast this has grown, right? Definitely. And, and I think part of uh, Alexei's like genius was to um, make it look like Mist from a software standpoint and from compatibility and make it really easy to port the Mist cores because when Mister started, it, had all of the, you know, stood on the shoulders of every FPGA project that was out there. And then the first programmers were, not the, all of them, but a lot of them were more like me, um, people who just didn't know much, but just could take a core from Mist or from somewhere else on the internet and port it and get it running on Mister quickly. I think that's why it's gotten so big. Because we, when I started in November there was, of 2017, there were still a ton of games to play on it. And now it's amazing people like Robert cranking out these gigantic systems yeah. one after another. Yeah, I know. And, and also you've been cranking a lot of uh, updates to course, updating them and bringing them to the to the system, right? From other platforms, like you mentioned. And um, now that we're, we're talking about it, uh, how do you select uh, which course to work on? It's, it's because you deem them easier like you mentioned like like a good introduction it's it's one option of, of course or is it i like to have this one running no matter what what do you what do you feel like uh, robert allen go ahead robert uh, for me i i started with uh, with the gba core because i played uh, the system a lot in emulation in the past so i grew up uh, with this system and uh, it was it was the first choice for me because it was missing and uh, was interesting for me and it didn't seem to be too difficult so <laughs> the 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 word there is a sim or or did that prove to be true uh, i would say in the end uh, i'm <laughs> it, it has it has some problems with it um, 
that came later on. But uh, from the first look, uh, it's, it, it didn't seem to be too difficult. So it, it was a good good point to start with. There are always some, some edge cases, but not, not too bad in the end. Okay. You, Alan? I, it's funny, when I first started, I made a Google Doc with all of the fixes I wanted to do. And I wanted, I'd say I finally, two weeks ago, may have fixed the first thing that was bothering me. <laughs> so I have a huge, it's a huge learning curve and, and, and all of my fixes were way too ambitious, but I got PPP running and the serial port working on the Mac Plus and that I had as one of my first things because I use that Mac Plus core, which is pretty impressive. It's much better after Gearco fixed it last, this month or last month, whenever it was. But um, I couldn't get any software on it and I did all sorts of, hacky things to try to get software on it easily and it, it was a mess. The other one is I wanted to make the Apple II disc right. I know Sentient, she always says she wants that, but I still have not done that. I'm trying to think what else was on that list. But it's kind of a funny list because yeah, none of it. So I would say that I had cores and things I really are personal to me, you know, grew up using my Mac, but I, I'm just so lazy that I just try to do the easiest thing to make the most gain and and that's going out and sending misters to different developers and getting them to port their cores or porting their cores um and just been trying to move up this learning curve of of uh, verilog and bhdl and hardware which is super hard yeah i can only imagine i want to go deeper into the mac thing later on but uh right now i think that what you're doing i, I would put it like which thing that i do makes the most impact i think that's uh Different way to put it, but I think that's the effect that it gives. So thank you very much. And uh, well, uh, next question is before we start like going into the work that you have, because we have so much to cover, but we'll cover whatever comes and we can do other streams later on, is uh, what may, uh, what catch you or, or got you into gaming in the first place years ago? Alan? Uh, I would say that I'm more of a hoarder. I, I would say I always enjoyed pirating software and hoarding it. And I would say I played very little of it. And I'd say the same is on my mister. My mister is full of games and, and I'm probably mostly in Quartus writing fixes and things. And, um, so I, I think, yeah, early on, I, I had an Apple two GS, which we definitely need an Apple two GS core. Um, and I just, I loved you know, meeting people and doing VBSs and downloading things and and filling floppies full of software that I never used. <laughs> you, Robert? Yeah, uh, when I was a child, there was already a lot of uh, systems available at that time. So the Super NES was available, the Game Boy was available, and first uh, PC games also. So I grew up with all of them. I never had a Super uh, Nintendo, but uh, I got a Game Boy very early and. I spent quite some years with it as a child, so that, that brought me to to this topic. And I started programming when I was a teenager, with fourteen years or something like that. And then I started to to program my own games, and this all this led to to uh, to the things I do today. So I started uh, studying in, in this topic and. All, all coming from from the gaming. Yeah. On on the Game Boy early on. 
And uh, is there any specific game that you remember or cherish uh, playing as a kid? There's, there's one very special game. So it, it was the first time I played uh, Super Mario 64 oh. in, in the store. And I see in this, this 3D world and you can move around there. I was maybe 10 years old when it came out and it was so impressive. I will never forget this moment. Yeah, I I, I kind of relate to that and watching stuff at the at the shops and just uh, wondering how it would feel to play them, right? And and you, Alan? I, I my um, it's so funny. We we um, Jamie has been working on the uh, seventy eight hundred core, and I've been kind of a cheerleader mm -hmm. for her as much as I can and and try to help her out, but. Uh, the, the my earliest memory was having a 26 well before we had a 2600 we had that Coleco vision or not Coleco vision Coleco I forget it was it was like the one with the gun and the steering wheel on on each side but uh then we had a 2600 and it was so disappointing kind of when the games were really expensive and I remember I must have saved up every birthday and Hanukkah present to get a cartridge and it was Barnstormer which is a terrible game and I just remember getting it and playing it, and it was nothing like the TV ad. I actually went on YouTube recently. This whole 2600, 7800 experience has just brought back those horrible memories of that game. Um, but on the on the 2GS, there were much better... Uh, yes, the Telestar. I, there were much better games. I had... Um, I love Montezuma's Revenge, which might have been an Apple II game. And NARC was so silly. Yeah. That game is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, I think the GS it's version... It's so impressive, right? Visually, NARC. Yeah, it was so good. And and we used to hook my GS, we'd take it out of my room and hook it up to my dad, loved his TV, so he had some crazy like, rear projection uh, 70 inch TV that was his, that he put in my mother's fancy living room. She hated that. <laughs> and so we'd have all the kids over in high school and <laughs> we'd play NARC on this gigantic TV. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was always fun to just grab the system and play it on the, on the big system, on the big TV system, right? And going back to that Atari 2600 experience, was there any game that you do like to this date from the from that era? No, no. Okay. no. I, I don't happen. I think the 2600. I remember my cousin got one later, and she always I felt had more toys, and and she had I think Pac Man or Miss Pac Man, which was pretty good. And I was always like, wow, I wish I had that cartridge, but I don't think I could get my parents to do it. And then there was the the crash and. Then Toys R Us had the cartridges for two, three dollars, and I must have picked up a bunch. But I, I've never really been captivated by any of the twenty six hundred games. And then um, I did get a Game Boy Advance as an adult when it first came out in Tokyo. I was there on vacation. I saw all these people lining up yep. for it, and I love Mister Driller. Mister Driller is so mindlessly stupid and great. And I can play that for it's hours. It's a great thing, especially yeah. And uh, Robert, were are there any games that you still keep from your childhood? Like the physical copies from from your childhood that you you still keep? Uh, I I don't have any games left from from my childhood. I would say I, I still play them. Yeah. From time to time. Which is the but, important uh, thing, after all. I, I, <laughs> you still play them, which is good. Yes. Any any you you could mention that you can still play and uh, that that survived that test from age. So I I played uh, as a child. I played a lot Pokemon. Mm. The, the first one from the Game Boy. And I still remember pretty much everything from this game and I still play it maybe once every two years. It's, it's still good for me. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. Have you 
like ever gotten into uh, well of course we all have tried to, to figure out how this stuff works but what was the 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 short path or the, or the short version that got you into hacking or or developing uh was there a, a clear path like trying to figure out how the save game works for example whatever uh, it's just from the top of mind what which was the path that you followed that that brought you here in, in that sense technically so uh, for me um i was um i was always doing some some little projects on on fpga development since i was maybe 22 years or wow. so 10 years ago awesome i started doing very little stuff so over the years i did some some own uh, cpu designs and things nobody would really use and i did that and i had no software for it because there was no software for for cpu core that has no of system course, behind and then i watched a, a video from from someone from intel presenting that he has done uh intel cpu soft core for fpga and he said he did this because he can never write so much software in his life uh, that he would do any um, any other processor wouldn't would not make any sense to him and i thought at this moment when i develop something like this why don't i uh, go for some system already existing it would would be better to have software available and not doing uh, development without any anything behind it so uh this really changed my my, re, my view on on this topic, and I started uh, with with my very bad Game Boy Core. After this, it's it's dead now. I, I didn't do anything about it uh, anymore. Uh, you can still find it on GitHub, but it's really bad. It plays some games, but it's not a good one. And uh, but but it was a good start to to look into and uh, see what problems there are and go ahead. And and well, that's a uh, that's quite a, a story because you basically, due to your age, probably have been uh, kind of native to this uh, kind of development, right? Yeah, uh, uh, when I studied, there was a colleague uh, giving me an FPGA board and telling me, "Oh, it's cool! Look at it and uh, look what you can do with it." And he presented some some things to me, and it was great. I, I liked it very much. It was more interesting than the software development I was doing all the time, uh, because that was the, was the topic I was studying: Sof uh, computer science was mainly a software development. But uh, this this FPGA topic was so exciting, uh, and I, I started uh, doing this instead. Yeah, on 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 that note, Alan, how do you feel about that change? You you already mentioned that it's a uh, hard topic right uh, but how do you feel from uh, changing from a software perspective to to an fpga developer yeah it's interesting i studied computer engineering i did have one class in verilog which i feel like they told me that they somehow passed me but said my project would never run on real hardware um it's hard for me to think parallel mm -hmm. and it's hard i mean when we write normal c code like i grew up doing it's you know, one or basic, maybe it comes from too much basic as a kid, you know, it's one line after another. Um, and so it's, it's been a challenge. I, 
it, it's funny. I got started with my Commodore 64 because um, I think it was like 1994 or something. We were, I was still in, at university and I had an internship at Apple. I was working on, uh, I think which year was which, I was working on the Ethernet driver or networking stack for the new PowerPC that hadn't come out yet. And my roommate, who's awesome and way better hacker than me, was working on the team that was doing the 68,000 emulation for the PowerPC. And so his sort of like day job was to try to help the person figure out how to, you know, go faster and emulate faster. And then we found when we were there, a bunch of people from our university who had sort of dropped out, of, most of them had dropped out of college or they had graduated. They were working on an Apple IIGS emulator that I think, Gus, I think became a product that Apple sold maybe like the LC or something. And so we were, it was sort of all around us. There was already an Apple II emulator and a GS. And that's why um, we went with the Commodore 64. And so that's sort of how I got into at least the emulation side. And, and, and it was fascinating because being just a software person and not having a Commodore especially and not really doing anything but basic on my Apple II, it was just having to go through every chip one at a time and understand more how a processor works and how the video works and then sitting there with the video chip you know one piece of software at a time trying to fix the bugs i just i loved it and i i started doing more and more emulation but as i said the problem was and especially getting that emulator work on a 68000 was a challenge it was a fun challenge but it was hard to get it fast enough um yeah and so now it's the challenge with writing any of these cores as robert sort of described and he's way better at this than i am is you have to learn a lot about the system. And I just came off that Coco 2 core mm -hmm. and I had to learn. I used one again, like in basic when I was 10 or something. Um, so you have to learn how the video works and how everything works. Then you have to be good enough in Verilog or VHDL to be able to start to express it. And then you have to think more like a hardware person than a software person and think about how the timing works and clocks and how to do everything one cycle at a time. And I'm still finding it really difficult. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's a lot of topics that you cover there, and uh, I, I'm no way at the level of, of any of you guys in these areas, and uh, it's always been fascinating to me how an embedded system, a, a computer, can create such worlds, right? And it's very attractive to instead of of uh, like porting a game, it's easier to say to think, right? I'm just going to emulate the system. Just I'm air quoting here, right? and have all of them working at once. But there's so much going into each one of these systems, even the early 70s or 80s systems like you mentioned. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated that those systems can be understood by a person and kept in a single mind in some way because you're jumping between a, a reductionist and a holistic perspective, right? And... Which part is it that you're most familiar with uh, regarding this analysis uh, approach, Robert? Is it the holistic or is it the reductionistic part? So um, when, I, when I look at, uh, let's say, the GBA system, because I, I probably know, noticed the best from the ones I worked on. I would say I, I have an overview of everything and I know where to find information I need. And I, I don't think I have everything in my mind at, at a single mm -hmm. time. But uh, mm -hmm. when I go into a subsystem there, a single part, 
I can understand it again after a few hours and I can find uh, where was the information. But I cannot uh, have everything at the same time um, in my mind. I, I don't think that that works, at least not for me. Alan? I just lost, I couldn't hear you, but you just popped back oh, in. Can you say something? Sorry, uh, I, I was, oh. uh, we were talking about how uh, the approach regarding what you were saying is it is it easier for you to just see the big picture or just uh, approach every single chip from detail uh, a holistic or reductionist uh, approach how do you feel it works better for you i'm i'm lazy so i usually do the holistic i i try to get um yeah as big a win as possible so i'd say i don't usually worry uh about every little chip although you know, eventually you have to with, and that's, what's interesting is when you look at main source code and, and some of the software emulation, you can often, I wouldn't say shortcut, but you know, you can do something like most all computers have a big memory map and you can just make an emulation by having one big piece of Ram and maybe trapping out a couple of things. Whereas in the hardware, it's more, there's, there's usually a big mux or something in the FPGA to, to decode all of the, address lines and it just gets more complicated whereas it, a lot of times in software you know because you just have this huge thing in memory you know the default might just happen to work reasonably well um but in hardware you have to actually know what's going on yeah and regarding now that you mentioned mame and uh, also the difference in in, in approach in a way uh, mame is this, is this huge project that tr that has been there for like 25 years and the approach is, is usually high level, right? Uh, you you emulate the things and you make this wrappers that, that show you the memory map, connect everything, and they don't bother in certain details, like they use high level emulation, for example, for video and audio. I, I, I don't know, I'd say it's my perspective from the little things I've seen, but how do you feel Mr. can help fill that gap in documentation regarding these subsystems that are not properly emulated? Well, the, the I'd say, well, it's interesting. The FPGAs are still emulation, and um, especially the computers we've been working on recently, it's the bus situation is really hard. Because normally, you, you set up a computer, and you put five devices on a bus and a chip select, and you, um, you know, write something on the bus. And then the chip that wants it picks it up. But the FPGA, you can't really do that. So you end up with this huge mux that um, has the chip select, but then everything has its own wire. And you sort of put an if. If this chip select, grab it from here. If this, grab it from there. And so it's it's an interesting difference. So I'd say that in a lot of ways, we are documenting things better. And we are getting closer to the real chip. And it's amazing sometimes with some of these um, components have gotten so good. And it's so neat because. Unlike MAME and some of the other emulators, you really often can just take a chip, especially a processor or a video chip, and you can grab it and say, oh, I want to build you know, a Laser 310 because it uses the same graphics chip as the Coco. Oh, but it didn't use the same processor, it uses other processor. And you really can get very far by just grabbing a couple of pieces. And I haven't seen that in software so much. It's really hard software to, to move things around. But the interface, and maybe it's the API issue, because most of the chips have the same API as the spec sheet, as in the same pins, more or less, it, it's really neat. And it's super fun. 
So it should accelerate too, I should say. And I don't know if Robert agrees with that, but it should accelerate. Like if I wanted to build a 2GS, I would grab Robert's um, 65.816. And I think I'd be, you know, the biggest part would be done probably. And uh, what do you think about that, uh, Robert? Uh, for me, the systems I, I worked on, there uh, was no component available I could take. So I always had to do it myself. And I also like to do that. So I, I like to do the, the CPU design myself instead of uh, taking the existing one to understand the details of it, the details of the timing and, and all, uh, all related things uh, there. And I, I don't think I can understand the full system if I take the existing ship, but it really depends on the one developing it. So I, I'm really bad at... Uh, Looking at existing solutions and understanding them, it's it's really difficult for me. I, I can relate but, to that. Um, it's easier for you to analyze some, it and then implement it. Yeah, I, I, I feel, feel more comfortable uh, implementing things I, I've understood and I, I see what I have written and I can read what I have written. But I have large problems understanding what uh, somebody else has written. It's difficult for me. But what, uh, there's a, a interesting difference in that from a software development perspective. Like you always end up using uh, subsystems or libraries, right? There's a, a, diff a, a fine line between using somebody else's work as an interface and understanding what it really does, right? Sure. And uh, well, uh, talking about these uh, implementations that you've been uh, making, there's uh, there's a lot of, of uh, ground to cover because you've been working on on this uh, for a while and for instance uh, you've been working right now on safe states and fast forward and rewind Robert uh, for several of your course uh, lately uh, last time for the for the NES core it was was safe states only okay but, uh, before I also on the other features yes 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 i i've uh, i've seen that how how does that uh attracted you and how have you been approaching it for for a different course has it been similar approach or has it been very different for each one of them? so i i've done this uh, first for for my own core so for the for the gba core so it was simple there because i know everything yeah. of it so I could do it there. And then I uh, started doing this for the, for the Game Boy Core. And it was also quite easy because I understood the Game Boy as I made an own core a year ago. So I could understand what it does and what it should do. And I could, I already knew what, what to do, what, what is the, the picture behind. And uh, for the NES Core, it was very difficult. <laughs> I have realized that. And uh, I needed a lot of help from from Jamie because uh, I don't know anything of the NES, and it has so many little details, and it was very difficult to do that at uh, at this core. So in the end, uh, I think it it went uh, went well, but it was so difficult that. Uh, I'm not sure I would do it again for another core. <laughs> At least not if uh, 
one of the main developers isn't helping <laughs> to to understand things. Yeah, because you're uh, just like tapping into many into everything basically, right? Yes, you need to look into into every part of of the core. Yeah, otherwise you, you're you're gonna you're yeah. sure to cause problems, right? Sorry. Yes, and you you don't know. Do I need uh, a specific part here, or can I skip it? And if you take everything, it's too much. You cannot do that. So you need to find a solution that that fits. But you really need to know the system, or at least need help from someone who knows the system. Otherwise, it will not work. You cannot take a core that is absolutely unknown to you and uh, implement the safe states there. It would not work. And how difficult do you think to uh, it would be to take your experience and like make uh, what to do uh, for other developers to implement that on other cores? So I would say uh, with... Uh the modules available if someone would uh, take them i'm not sure if they're easy to understand but if if you take them it's mainly it's mainly work to do so it was uh, i think it was uh, again 3000 lines of code for the nes mm -hmm. core now uh, to add the save states and it was about the same for the game boy so it's a lot of code to write but uh, the things to do are not too difficult in the end if you know the system but uh, there's there's one important step the system must be able to be paused mm -hmm. and that is something that not every core has uh, i would say maybe uh, every second core only has the possibility now because you need to design the core from the early on to do that and if that is not not done and it was done uh, on the Game Boy and also on the NES core, but on, on others it's not done, then you need to do that first. And it's much more difficult than adding the save states. So it doesn't sound like it, but adding a pause functionality is really a, a huge step. So you would recommend that first they implement the, the, the pause or design the core from scratch to have this, this pause. I saw that you uh, have like this, uh, the signal to enable the the RAM chips and everything on the Game Boy Core, right? Yes. So, um, if you design new, adding the pause functionality is very very few overhead, and it costs nearly nothing to do that. I have uh, done it now uh, in a way that is really simple on the Lynx Core recently, and it was very easy to do it. If if you know from the very beginning that you need to do it. But if you are done with the core, adding it in can lead to various bugs. Hmm. And you cannot say if you, uh, if you changed the logic with it, you only need to miss a single part and it's very difficult to edit later on. I can, I can only imagine, of course. And uh, what was the inspiration to get this uh, working? Why, why did you do it? So for the uh, for the NES core, there were I think the main inspiration was uh, the amount of requests to to have this feature. Hmm. But I'm I'm not familiar with the NES core, and I never played it before. Before I uh, worked on the safe states, I only made a, a small change some months ago, but I didn't have a single game on my SD card for the NES core. So. Um, 
know much about. I never played it in my life on the real NES system. It was uh, it was a requested feature there, and I've done it several times before. And um, one of the main uh, reasons to do it there was uh, that most games cannot be saved, and I thought maybe it's it's worth working on it. Yes, yes, it's it's a huge feature for a for a good a huge chunk a chunk of the community, and we, it will certainly attract uh, speedrunners and other communities that were requesting this, right? Yeah, and also one thing to notice uh, that when I started it, I I knew that uh, the NES core was prepared for the pause feature, so I thought it can't be such a huge task. So I, it took me maybe two or three days for the GBA core. And I know, knew that system, and it wasn't much uh, more for the Game Boy. So I thought maybe I, maybe a week and I'll be done with the NES core, say states. But uh, this didn't work out. So I think it's uh, three or four weeks now. <laughs> Still okay. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, and there's a lot of detail to go into here. But uh, I... I Unfortunately, we have a lot of, of, of stuff to cover. I'm sure we'll get back to this when we when we cover uh, fast forward and, and rewind because that's also very uh, important. But uh, I'd like to ask Alan about MRA and why is that needed and what do they do? Yeah, before MRA, we had these little scripts that would take ROMs. Let's back up a second. If you look at an arcade board, a real board, Generally, there are a bunch of ROMs, multiple ROM chips across the board. And when people for game and before started to preserve the ROMs, they would save them and put them in a zip, but usually with five, six ROMs, whatever it is for a game. Um, MAME, I never really, until I got into this, thought about how MAME handled this. I just used to play MAME. Uh, but they have in the code, kind of hard coded into every a core, a list of the ROMs, a list of the CRCs, and um, all the different variations. And so when we were doing Mr. in the beginning, um, or when I came to the project, other people had done it, they just had a shell script, a batch file for Windows and a Linux shell script, and some only had the Windows one, that listed ROMs in some order. And a lot of times, because of the way you want the memory map to work, they would list the same file over and over again. And then they would concatenate it into just basically one big ROM. And then on the Linux side of Mr., it would then send that ROM file just one byte at a time to the FPGA, which would then often put it back into, say, the six original like simulated BRAM ROMs that uh, the original Pac-Man or whatever it would have. Um, this was just kind of a mess. And Bruno, Silva did some amazing work on pulling all these scripts together. And he had this crazy Windows batch script that he auto-generated from some Visual Basic program that he could make not just you know, Pac-Man, but every variation of Pac-Man um, and dump out all of the ROMs. And so then we, he and I went through and I added all this functionality to every single core so we could load a ROM. So if you're playing Pac-Man, you could play all the alternates. Um, but it was just such a mess. and and it was hard, and I felt like it was just annoying for everyone. Like you, I have just you want to be able to just grab MAME ROMs and drop them on the disc. And so we made this MRA, which stands for Mister Arcade Format, 
Jamie was a huge, she kept pushing me. She's like, you know, fix this. Mame's terrible. And until she really pointed it out, I didn't even understand how it was just all hard coded. And so in a way, Mr. is neat because we document it instead of it being in the source code, it's documented in these MRA files. And it means when you go to build a core and, and, and one of the best things that happened, and I think maybe um, Alexi did this, I don't remember who pushed for it, but we moved the dips out of the core and into the MRA. And that's amazing because usually the dips, you read the doc online and, and it's always like, is it active high, active low? Is it wrong? Do these dips match this ROM set? And so it's really nice to be able to just edit that text file 10 times without rebuilding the core. Because rebuilding a core, even a small arcade core, takes 10 minutes, six to 10 minutes, not longer. So anyway, that was MRA. And, and I started and hacked and slashed the first version to the C code. Uh, Bruno made the first MRAs. And everyone else now uh, has just been adding and adding and adding to it. And it's really fun to see. And it does a lot of things. And then we just recently, um, the end, ARAM went in. And then um, Jimmy Stone and I have been working on adding a score saving. And we do that as well by putting the configuration in the MRA, which is really nice. That's uh, really interesting. I've been a part of a dumping union for a while. And... Uh... I, I document arcades, and I want just uh, for, for our public to, to understand, it's uh, when you have an arcade PCV, it's a dedicated computer that was built in, in many of these early cases specifically to play that game. And it was just an iteration between the family of products that that company made, right? So they are custom-made computers that are built to only run that software. And maybe you have the region variations or... or uh, hacks or uh, bootlegs, right, around that area. And the MRA allows you to, if, if uh, I see it like the FPGA, you configure it with the core and the MRA configures the core, right? Yeah, and it's and it's neat. And, and um, one of the other things you can do in it is we added the ability to put patches in. Mm -hmm. um, so really... It's, it's just really nice because it's very flexible because in the some of the patches were done like in the shell script because you could just do I remember Bruno saying to me there's no way you could make everything work and I'm like well there's only so many arcades that work on Mr. Now so we just have to go through one at a time and add whatever functionality we're missing to get all the arcades working and it's nice because if someone wants to do a hack um, or like HB MAME you know because way MAME works, since it has to know about all the ROM files in the CRCs, you can't just drop brand new ROM in. But this is more like original arcade board, where if you want to make your own version of um, Donkey Kong with the vendors reversed, then go ahead and do it. If it runs on the real hardware, you can make an MRA to do it. And the neat part is, if you just change the sprites, you can either just pop those sprite ROMs in separately and use Know, kind of merge them together, use the old ROMs and the new ones where you need to, or you could even just patch. You know, if you just want to fix some bug, you could just put a patch in and you can have three versions, three MRA names that are really small that, you know, each one's slightly different. Yeah, different so I think it's add. It's, it's, it's just a different description. Sorry that I interrupted you uh, of, of the same. When you do this in main, you have to either run the command line version and ignore the CRC errors or if you're using a, uh, a GUI, then you're you're screwed, like you mentioned. But uh, this is uh, really dynamic in that sense. I, I really liked it. 
Yeah, and it just came out of my laziness. Um, and, you know, Jamie kind of really pushing to do something better. And it's great because it's just, it, most of the work was done in software. So it was it was not very hard. And then we had to go back through and redo all the arcades to put the dip line in and remove the extra ROM loading. And, 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 and it, um, the other thing that allowed us to do is um, somewhere in here we added, and again, it was just nice. Once you have, and the reason I love Mr. is Lexi has just put so much thought into the framework. And because you have this framework, it's fun to watch where you add one feature to the framework like MRA or a feature in MRA, and then you can just use it everywhere. And it's just fabulous. So one of the things that we realized is, okay, once you have some ROMs, you can just inline put your own kind of fake ROM that's just number one, two, three, four, five. And then we were able to do things like merge all the Pac-Man variants together. So if you have, or Space Invaders is one I worked on for a long time. I finally got it out mostly. But Space Invaders was a board that was used over and over and over again. And then it was almost all the same, except they would wire it slightly differently, wire the input and output ports differently, or they would add a different soundboard. And so you could have six or 10 or 20 soundboards hooked to it. And the neat part is in the MRA, we can just put under you know, a thing that says, oh, this is board configuration one, two, three, four. And that's allowed us to take from, I forget how many we had. I think we went from 100 and something arcade um, down to like, 40 and then back up to 100 but um it's just really nice so now when we have a new framework and we want to do something we can just um recompile pac-man once and that affects i don't know 26 games or something like that good and uh, how do you feel this uh, could help improve the documentation side because you know many of us use meme uh like i i have for example on space invaders pcb that is broken right now and uh it has RAM issues. How do you think, uh, right now I go to MAME, I check out the, the source code for Space Invaders and try to figure out the memory map and uh, which ROMs are there, which are relevant. If I could use a test ROM, for example, which is a, um, an issue I'd like to talk with Robert and, and you later on. And uh, how do you think MRAs and Mystery in general can help people that are in such situations or like in 30 years want to know how something works or how it was because there is so much uh, problems documenting how PCBs really were made and assembled and how they could be repaired. How, how do you think this effort helps in, in that regard or how do you think it could help? It's still an emulation and I think at some level the MRA, I wish that the dip situation was a little closer to the original board. So I'd say that it's not great. I, I have, there is a really good test ROM for Space Invaders. Um, so you should go ahead and build that. And I have sat there and modified it for almost every other variation. No, like maybe five other variations of the board to try to figure out how the sound worked. And I did ignore the CRC errors and run it on MAME and to, to make, you know, sanity check that I had things working. Um, so I think... I think you. I, I think the difference. It's it's still going to be a hunt. Like you're going to look at Mame, and it, and Mame does some things really well, like the inputs and the and the ROMs, the dips are really well documented. But then some things are going to be well documented, maybe in probably not the MRA, but if you looked at the Space Invader core, it, stuff still gets complicated. Like as the downside of putting all the different Space Invaders into one core is it gets kind of ugly and it's hard to document the code well. And so I, I think it'll help. Um, 
Definitely. We, you know, more people looking at it and thinking about it to help. There was Vortex as a Space Invaders clone, has this really strange video circuit and never was in MAME. I think it might be now. Mike Coates was like looking at it and looking at it. And we were on the MAME Discord trying to figure it out. And he finally got it to look at some YouTube, one YouTube video to, to watch. And he got it to, to be, look like it. And it's a really weird color hack where, you know, Space Invaders is black and white, but they have color by doing an overlay or something strange. And they did, I don't know, they hooked some resistor to some other thing. <laughs> some things turn purple. I don't know. <laughs> it's very odd. So it, it'll help. I think if someone has a broken vortex, this might make it the first time it's been documented. That's, that's really good. Um, and, and and all these arcade schematics have errors in them. Yes. So I think it helps. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's a, a sore point in general that it's really, really hard to find good documentation because each one of this is very different. Unlike, unlike I don't know, a Super Nintendo where, yes, you'll have problems, but it's like there are 10 revisions and that's it, right? Not like Space Invaders where it's only one game tens of hacks or, or tens of different boards or the midway and the the tate of words and three layers or, or the t configuration all that stuff it's it's a lot of things to to compress into a single thing right yeah and the computer cores i like working on them and they're sometimes a lot easier because like the tandy has schematics and schematics and books and manuals and here's how to program it and here's how it worked and here's how the joystick port works which is so weird on the coco um Anyway, so it's just like there's so much documentation. Then you go back to arcades, and on the one hand, they're so much simpler. So they're often, not all of them, of course, but they're often a lot simpler to do. But there's so much less documentation. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And talking about the, the ROMs and the configuration, I know it's not the, the smoothest of jumps, but Robert, you mentioned that you use the, the open source BIOS for the GBA, right? Uh, could you talk us about uh, why uh, BIOS is so difficult to replicate in, in an open source environment and why that's important? So for the GBA, uh, the open source uh, BIOS is included mainly uh, for for uh, users who start with the core to have something available. Okay. If you, if you go in, in, in depth, uh, you should probably exchange it uh, for the original one. And the main reason for that is that the BIOS is not only used for uh, booting the system up, but it also contains some uh, some functions, mathematical functions or some operating system-like functions. And whatever this, uh, these functions are called, the last value is kept on the bus when it returns. So if you exchange the BIOS for something else and the game uh, depends on this last value, it will just... Right. Uh, some some strange behavior so it cannot work without the original one it's very difficult for the for the game world ones and i think it's not only an issue for the game world advance it's an issue for for a lot of systems right and uh this is a a real headache do you think that it's it's uh it's important to create open source replacements for for these biases like i don't know the pc engine or uh, cards or or like the the Game Boy uh, uh, bands and, uh, for instance, the TMSS from the Genesis. What do you think? Do, are they necessary? Do we need these replacements? 
So it, it would be great to have this replacement, uh, but uh, I would say for the systems that really need them. So for example, the Game Boy Advance really needs them and they really need to be completely exact. So from the timing wise, so the function must, must uh, take the same time. So otherwise the game would behave different and it must have uh, the same code. Otherwise the game would behave different. So if you write the open source BIOS, it will have other code or you just copy the code. So I'm not sure how that would work at all to have it open source and 100% uh, accurate. But uh, for, for systems that don't need it at runtime, like the Game Boy, I would say it's much easier to mm. do it because uh, it's only run at, at the startup and you know uh, what the status must be when it's left. So it's, it's better to do it, uh, to have open source version there. But I, I don't think we get an easy replacement for systems that uh, call the BIOS at runtime. That will be very difficult. Yeah, it's a, the whole system is like, it's, it's like the, the I don't know how you, to say it in English. It's, it's the, the piler that's, that keeps everything running, right? And it's timing yeah. and uh, function dependent. I imagine the PlayStation is kind of the same thing, right? I cannot yeah. say. And, and how, what about, about the, the, the links? The links does have a boot ROM, but that's that from the name tells me it's it's different, right? Yes, on the links it's only for booting up, so it it could be replaced. And if you look at some emulators, they also have boot inside where you could skip it. Right. It doesn't take much time, so there's no real reason to skip it. But uh, you could uh, have a Lynx core that is completely open source without any uh, proprietary uh, software. Yeah, I see. It would be uh, some advantage to have that. And well, the the I don't know how much. Yeah, you... sorry, Alan. Please. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just gonna pipe in. Like, I, I wish that the more of this would be open. The original ones would be open source. I think like the Lisa, some of the original stuff is coming out. I wish the Commodore stuff would come out but um, and just be put in the public domain. But it's also a little silly. I mean, we are running all of these ROMs that are copyrighted. So I, I'm not like, if you're going to run Game Boy Advance, you're going to, the next thing you're going to do is grab Zelda or something. So I mean, I don't know how important the open source ROM is. Yeah, I, I understand. I, I think that the only important, well, the, the importance is that you can, separate everything on a release basis right and have the user jump in like plug and play instead of uh how if for for instance if i want to be fully legal just i'm going to say uh, that's a position out there and i want to play my gba games i can dump them easily right i just buy the hardware to dump which there are commercial versions out there or build my own dumper and go but dumping the bios from the gba is something that is, is way more difficult, right? In, in most, I guess yeah, so. you, you have to attack. In, and in case of uh, like the, I don't know, PC-88 or X-68000, I can just grab a, my, my EEPROM breather and dump it and, and get done with it and have in as many versions as I, as I want, right? So I think that's the, the importance in terms of uh, like a project, not like a user, to have it uh, easier to set up for, for everybody. But I fully understand what you mean. And in terms of that, the boot ROMs in, in these old computers, uh, like the TRS-80 that you were working on, the Coco, uh, are they very different in, in that regard? Um, 
I'm sure I didn't do the right thing legally with them. No, but, no, uh, no. That's not that way. I mean, I, I mean, uh, like for example, for the serial support, do you have like, do you need jumps from uh, controllers for this to work? Are they like uh, the BIOS that you need to have them at runtime, or are they just like boot rooms that? I'd say the computers, and this is probably an overgeneralization, but I think the newer the computer gets, the more it's separated from the hardware and from the exact ROMs. So the the Mac has been interesting because well, when I started looking at the emulators, trying to see can I use an emulator to help me figure out to document it or whatever, like most of the emulators, MAME's actually getting better, they're changing it now. But um, some of the Basilic and or however you say it and Shapeshifter, they just patch, they have have um, drivers for the video. They don't have a video card. They don't have sound. They don't have almost anything implemented to emulate the, any particular hardware. They just drop in a driver that works on the Mac, and then they just have it native. And it's 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 interesting. So there's very very little hardware. Maybe the processor is emulated. Almost no hardware. So I think when you get to newer computers, it's a lot easier to replace big parts of it because the you think goes. You know, it's all meant to be in a driver sort of scenario, so they meant for the hardware to change. I see. And the timing doesn't have to be exact. I see. And uh, regarding the, the Mac Plus, you mentioned that the floppy uh, support and you, you want uh, Coco to have disk support. I don't know if that means, uh, like, I, I guess it's a floppy drive support and not a, a hard drive. Uh, how do you feel about that magnetic media and the flux dumps? Um, and I don't know how I feel about it. I, the the um, Steadyman did the TRS-80 uh, drive and did an amazing job with it. And then he went on to build um, strange computer. I forget what it was called. That's kind of like a typewriter computer. And he did the floppy support on that that I think was harder. And he was going to do the Coco. I think at some point he'll get to it, hopefully. Mm -hmm. I think it's very similar to the TRS-80 because it's a, another Tandy mm -hmm. drive. So hopefully we'll get that. Um, and there was a hard drive for the TRS-80 and the Coco. Um, I think it might be implemented on somewhere. I think I saw it. So I, I might, at some point I might look at that too, but, um, I don't know if the hard drive's that important. Floppy would be, yeah, I think it's kind of key for Coco actually. I think it'd be really Yeah, and floppy, I'm, I'm guessing that you need like the firmware or it, it would be like a high level, uh, support for yeah that we, we we had the firmware booting the the ana coco the floppy is a cartridge with a rom in it and we were i think i was accidentally booting that when pierco built the original core we were it was just mapped instead of a, a game he had the had the dos and then attached to the cartridges you know a floppy controller chip which i like i said i think is the same one as in the um trs80 well, there were a lot of cartridges, right? So they had five cartridges that were different versions with different controllers, and some worked better than others. And then, yeah, so there's a ROM plus the, the disk controller and then a cable that would plug into a disk. So, uh, yeah, so we the, the challenge as well is in an FPGA where you don't have software is then to decode the different emulation disk formats. So you have to, on the one hand, make the computer think it's talking to a mm -hmm. disk drive, but then on the other hand, you have to parse some kind of file and just parsing files and dealing with not really text, but kind of textual type of data, binary data is just hard. 
in uh, FPGA. Because normally, if you think about a computer, you have a soft core, you have a processor, and then you write software to it. So when you, if you're just going to do it in an FPGA, it's pretty hard. Like you may, uh, That's why a lot of these disk formats aren't supported. Yeah, and uh, regarding that area, then I think it's going to be really difficult. I've been uh, into flux dumps for later computers, like late 80s computers, PC-88, X68000, and MSX. And uh, the flux dump, um, you know that, of course, that floppies are an analog medium, right, instead of digital. And uh, our current dumps work on the basis of unmutable digital data. And this works for cracked images. But if you want to play, like, the original uh, dumps from, from these games, you you would need to have support for either flux dumps or some other format where weak beats and all these details, the, the damage tracks, and uh, would would just like crawl up. Do you think that would be targeted in the future, or no idea? Or no idea. I mean, everyone. What's been fun about Mister is we, you know, just get something out there that works, and then someone who really cares about flux dumps or cares about something else can just work on that part yeah, and expand it. And so I wouldn't say it's never going to happen, but it, I mean, we, we would just like to get it to play a simple crack disc to start with, but it doesn't mean that someone can't make it better. And as you say, the, the analog doesn't work so well on FPGAs. I mean, that's a weird statement, but I mean, FPGAs are digital. So sometimes there's obviously we have sound chips working, but you know, analog sound, analog hard disk drives are going to be a challenge. Um, but Again, it's like when you actually model the copy controller, you know, things sometimes get a little easier than you would in an emulator. And so, you know, things are possible. And it's amazing how much stuff just works when you just follow the spec on each of the chips and hook them up correctly. I, I can imagine it's 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 magical, right? Yeah, when it first works, like when I finally got the serial port for the Mac Plus working, it was just, I mean, that was- Have you, have you plugged anything into that? No, I just wanted, I, I mean, what I did at first was just turn it on console mode mm. and, and it just hooked up to the, I, it's actually not really set up well to go, I didn't put enough support all the baud rates, so I can't plug it into a modem just because I was lazy. But um, no, I got the the prompt on, okay. on Linux on the mister and I typed LS and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then and then when I got PPP working, it was a mess at first, but now when it's, it's solid, it connects immediately. And it's fly, it's just... You see the little fetch dog moving. That's that's amazing. I can only imagine how how it feels to have all those change of events uh, working all of a sudden, right? Yeah, and it was like that. It was like boom, it started to work. From I had, you know, what's interesting in, in talking about what you were saying, you know, documentation, the VMAC or Mini VMAC or whatever made a weird software assumption that I didn't understand. And so for a year, I couldn't figure out how to get a byte off the serial port. I couldn't see the Mac writing to the serial port. And it's because they have a mode in the serial port write to the registers and they have a mode to send data and the mode to send data is quicker so you can send less. You, you just, if you had to send it the other way, like writing to a register, you'd have to, I think, write like two, three, four bytes to it. Um, but the software emulation just, shortcutted it and said, if you're writing to the serial port, make it look like a register write. So I kept putting signal tap and debug into the hardware, looking for it to write to that register, which of course it never did. And, and that's my <laughs> fault for being stupid and not really reading the spec well. 
but it was just it's just amazing and that goes again to the documentation problem so by just staring at that code and and of course once i knew it then i saw the shortcut in the code but it was interesting it was like in a way just like actually not preserving the mac that well because they did a weird shortcut in the software yeah. interesting yeah and, and and that's something that you only see in retrospect like when you're going into the detail and exactly. uh, uh, talking mm -hmm. about having something work uh, not all of a sudden but after so much work uh, robert uh, the link score is uh, pretty recent right yes it uh, was uh, two months ago i would say yeah and and you you brought a really uh, fully working uh, core uh, i would say really fast I would say for the links, it was quite easy because the links is not really dependent on, on any accuracy uh, timing-wise. So if you got uh, the, the main CPU working, which is just uh, a common CPU, so it's nothing too special or the 8-bit CPU, and that's mainly it. If, if that works and uh, some some registers uh, behave like they should, most games are running and it's uh, just the, the output to be done. And that's, uh, that's really different from, for example, the, the Game Boy Advance, where a lot of, uh, lot of subsystems uh, like uh, direct memory access and other parts are Uh, working in parallel and uh, taking resources, giving them back, and that was much more difficult to get uh, to get all the the corner cases right. And in the links, every uh, every part of the system can just set uh, the other parts to pause, and you can look at it alone. And it's not much uh, in case of uh, corner cases there. And it was. It was really it was easy compared to to the Game Boy Advance, I would say. So, so that made it faster. So it kind of and it felt like vacation in a way. <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. So it's when I work on something like this, I usually do eight hours a wow. day on it. So I I have my my day job, and afterwards I start working on it. Uh, to it's to it's late on the day because I want to get things done and when I have the first thing done I scale this down so when the first games run I go down from eight hours to maybe four or two a day to uh, to get uh, some time back for for family and other wow, things that's a lot to juggle But, uh, with. when I'm working on something new I, I I'm too focused I cannot stop then But that uh, you know that's that feeling is really good because You, you I imagine that you need to be really focused and no external inputs and that's really difficult in, in, in the environment that you mentioned because you have so many other stuff to worry about but I'm glad that you were able to to focus those hours and and build this with with passion right because you if, if I imagine that it's like a deck of, of cards on a cloud right it, it just puffs and, and falls down if, if you have to work on something else suddenly right? The worst thing is uh, if it if it gets evening and there's something I haven't figured out yet. So this would it will be a long evening then into the night until I until I find it because I cannot sleep before. So it's it's really difficult to be a deep inside uh, such a development. 
for me. I can imagine. And, and talking about that, um, do you have the real hardware close to you and analyze it, or work from the from 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 documentation? What's the best approach for you? And uh, and talking about that, well, I'll ask the next question further down. So. Um, For me, I, I have the hardware here, but I only use it uh, really to compare. Um, if I have a problem in a game uh, in the core, I want to compare to the real mm -hmm. hardware. So when I started development on the Linux core, I didn't have the hardware here. But there's quite good documentation and there are existing emulators. And I have written my own. So when I notice something odd in a game, I try to find out what should be right. Compare that with the documentation. I'm not the right one, and I'm not experienced with uh, debugging on real hardware with uh, oscilloscope and other things. That, that's not uh, what I, I'm used to do. I have done it uh, a few times on the uh, GBA core on games. For for example, this this one football game that nobody has gotten uh, to work in in emulation. Over years, I have done this one time, and it costed me so much time to find this out. And I, it, it wasn't really fun to do that for me. <laughs> so I, I'd rather develop things that are known, how they should work, than uh, to find out uh, the details from, from the real system. I, I can imagine. And uh, regarding that, do you feel... Uh, Well, this is more like an approach uh, thing. Do you feel that after you finish, for instance, the link score, uh, there could be discrepancies in timings or other stuff, colors or, or sound or frequencies that would need to be back worked from the output, from measurements, and then uh, fixed in the core? How do you feel about that? I would say for, for the link score, there are probably some uh, some things not 100% uh, accurate at the mm -hmm. moment. The main reason for this is uh, that the, for the links, there are no test drums for timing available. Mm. So I would need to do them myself, or I would need to do measurements myself, and I haven't done this yet. I've worked mainly from the documentation, which states most uh, of the actions really accurate how they should behave and i have gotten the timing from that but uh, i cannot be 100 sure it's for the links it's not too difficult because um, many games re uh, really depend on the, the timing when for example uh, for the speed of the game itself you can see a timer i really use that so there's a, some games have a timer and if you run for example the the core at double cpu speed the timer goes down one minute in in 30 seconds so if i time it if i if i see that it really runs one minute when it ticks down one minute it's not too far mm -hmm. off But that's the best I can say at the moment, really. So otherwise, I need to write uh, test drums for it. On the other hand, I haven't gotten any uh, bug reports on on inaccuracies for the for the Lynx score. So I'm not sure how much time I should spend with it. Uh, as I said, I'm I'm not, not really 
really uh, pushing into into debugging on the real system. So I would say time uh, will show if it uh, is really required there. On on the GBA on the GBA core, on the other hand, there's a really good uh, test suite available from uh, from uh, MGBA emulator uh, developer, and it has so many tests for for timing, and you can really see what part is is okay and where are still problems. And this helped me a lot getting uh, getting the timing right. And well, that, now you touched exactly on, on one of the subjects we were going to cover. But what do you think uh, about test runs? Because this is an area that needs a lot of work, and only people like you can make uh, good test runs because you know what you want out of the system, right? And do you think more emphasis should be put into getting test runs out for every system and? Uh, what should they include? So I would say it's not uh, really um, the case that only the developer uh, can write the test terms. So for example, for GBA, there's a quite active uh, development community. And there are um, some developers there which are focusing on finding out details from the system. Mm -hmm. so just recently, they they uh, posted some, some test terms uh, they found uh, just made to uh, make em every emulator available not working <laughs> with them. So it's like a contest. Um, and it's usually um, the um, emulator developers work on it because they need it. Yes. If there were test runs available, so I would say if you have the test available, writing the code is so much easier and uh, you, uh, if you have the test already, you you are not um, you don't want to to write another test. At least I I wouldn't. Do yeah, it's not something that you look so, forward um, to, right? Yeah. And so um, I I could uh, I have done it a few times. I have uh, some some uh, some parts of of this test suite. I have uh, written some some additional tests or improvements for this. And it's integrated now, but uh, it's really a lot of work, and um, it doesn't bring you much forward in, at this point because when you find it out, you already know the solution. So to bring this also in a test run to have it uh, preserved for the future mm -hmm. is another huge step. It's it's not like uh, you find it out and you get it for free. It, it costs a lot of additional time to have it in a format so everyone else can use it in the future. So I would say um, if there are more people working on this, um, more people working on a system, it's good to have this work divided up. Yeah, yeah, for certain. And how do you feel about somebody bringing up like, hey, the test runs shows a 0.1 difference in between your core and the real hardware. How how does that feel and, and does does that help? So at the first moment, it's like you're getting smashed. Yeah, so you, you get a response, it's not working. But uh, at, the, at the next moment, I'm really interested to look into it. <laughs> what is it now? Can, can, I, can I find it? And often it is something 
at the first moment you say, oh, how can this even work? And then uh, you, you look deeper into it and it's one of these situations <laughs> where, uh, where I can't go to sleep until <laughs> I find the solution for it. Uh, yeah. so, Alan? It's... Uh, no, sorry, I, I thought Alan had something to say about it. Just go on, please, Robert, sorry. Oh, test ROMs? No, uh, uh, the test ROM thing for the 7800 was interesting. Um, we found a, found just Googling a developer who gets the 7800 basic project, which is actually really cool. Everyone should start playing with that, making their own 7800 ROMs. Um, but he was amazing. He made, he made so many test ROMs. And every time she had a question, he would make another test ROM to try to find an edge case. It made such a difference. Yeah. And, and this brings up like so much information regarding what the system actually does, right? Because you are on the inside. Well, I would say with the 7800, I, I think <laughs> we still don't know what it does, <laughs> but we have the schematics too. But uh, yeah, no, we definitely a lot, a lot more knowledge. And uh, Robert, they were, they were asking uh, if uh, now that you went to the GBA core, if you do the pocket station or consider it, uh, I have looked at uh, at the pocket station. <laughs> I, I didn't knew it before. I've seen a, a, a video of it on YouTube, okay. and I decided it doesn't have any good game. <laughs> so I, I'm not really motivated to work on it. Yeah, I can imagine, <laughs> of course. And well, back to to test rooms then. Yes, it, I I can imagine it feels like an attack, right? At, at first, I know it's not the intention. But it, it it kind of feels that way. It's, it's difficult to separate it from the personal work, right? I, I know this also from, from the other perspective. Because I, at work, I'm uh, searching bugs for the software development. Mm -hmm. And I'm always the bad guy finding the problem. Yeah. And on this side and here, I, I, get, uh, I get a report and it's... It's not feeling good at the first moment. It's, I would say it's natural. It's not feeling good if you are taught uh, there's a problem in, in your core. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, it's great we have this community to find these things. Because otherwise, I wouldn't have found it because I wouldn't have searched for it. Mm. So it's really good we have this. And uh, people are working on this, finding these little details of the systems to make them better and do you think there's a better way to communicate that first approach in in, in from both parts something that we can help improve as a community i would say it's fine okay also, it's it's not a it's not a, an issue that uh, that uh, i would feel bad about so looking into let's say github and finding a, a bug report i wouldn't say it's bad in any way it's always better to have uh, these things and um, have them in a proper format so it's it's really good to have this yeah because from from the outset so, it, it i understand that it can feel like nitpicking right in some parts it it may look uh, like this in in the first place so um for example i had uh, one one tester from uh, for GBA core who was testing all those uh, rarely used games and finding every flickering pixel or single pixel with wrong color. Mm. 
and uh, it was really annoying sometimes. But in the end, I found so many problems with that. And it was so great to have this help. I will, I would have never gotten to this point without such support. Yeah. So it's it's one one reason I, I stay with this project because the community is there. So I, I would, for example, I worked on a Nintendo DS core and I couldn't bring this to the Mr. Board. It's it's really not possible with, with the memory requirements from, from the Nintendo DS. So I, I bought another board, which is more powerful, mm -hmm. and thought uh, I would develop it there. But I realized there's no community, so no one will find the bugs. It will never get a good core. So it's, it's really useless for me to work on, on anything else where no community is there. So I really appreciate if, uh, if people are testing and reporting problems. Yeah, it, it's like shouting in, in, in to, to the vacuum or, or like having a community support and feedback because it gives purpose to your work, right? It's also a preservation of the work. Because uh, all those little projects I've done in the past, they are away now. Yeah. They are maybe somewhere on my hard disk, uh, or even even not that anymore. But uh, these projects, they are used by others and replicated. They will remain. Yes. And used, right? You you know, people are using your work. That, that was also one thing in, in the past when I did a project, I always said it's a good project if it's used as much as I spend time developing mm. it. And I would say, for example, with the GBA core, it's probably used much more than uh, I spend time developing it. So that's, that's great from, from a project perspective mm. and, and working on it. It's really motivating. It certainly is. How do you feel about that, Alan? Yeah, I, I agree with Robert. The it's not interesting to me to work on things that people don't use. And this project, as community grows, has been getting much more interesting, much more fun. And uh, as well, you know, one of the things that maybe we could talk about is beginners mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. to get started. I've been sort of kicking around some ideas. I made one video a few years ago, but I've been thinking about trying to put together a, you know, a Zoom workshop or something. See if we can get some more people to just start a hello world or something going. So I don't know, people. I don't know how we questions maybe in the side channel. What people think about that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a huge topic and it's a good time to to jump into it. We have so much more to cover on the work that you've done, but let's go into that because that's something that most of our audience will probably be interested in. And uh, you've you've worked in. in in some tutorials, right, for MIST. Could you tell us about that? I took the MIST tutorials and I, when I didn't know anything and I ported them one at a time to MISTER. And I would say the port for me was actually useful. So I'm a little unclear on whether the MIST tutorials that I've already ported to MISTER are as useful for the community um, or whether it was the action of doing it. They're pretty old and they need to be updated to the latest. So I've been thinking about Taking that repo and documenting it a little better and starting with maybe how to what to install, how to install, what the parts are. Um, but I, I kind of think given we're still in a pandemic that maybe we should just do a Zoom and have everyone start at 
you know, download the software before the Zoom and and we just start compiling some things together. What does everyone think? Yeah, I think that's that's really valuable. What do you think, Robert? About, about uh, how how should we approach uh, like nurturing a community that helps others start in development? What what do you think are the, the main parts? Because right now, for instance, I I know I don't have the time, and I believe I don't have the talent to to be a to help directly in 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 course. Right? What would you tell somebody like that? What they need to to like. From the from the perspective of you need a computer, you need this kind of software, you need everything in this tool, tool chain installed to just like build one core. What what would be the the steps that you would give a beginner that wants to get into FPGA development and and helping out? Which which the path that you show them? So that's um, that's really difficult for me. I'm I'm not really a good teacher at this point. I would say because. Uh, I have uh, the methods I work on are not really um, useful for someone starting from from mm -hmm. scratch and starting without any experience in, in this in this area. So I would need to to come back and and what I did in the past and this this first step and I think the first steps are not I don't think it's good to work on existing cores or getting a new core as the first step in getting into FPGA. I would say the first step should be something really simple, like getting uh, LED blinking on a board and things like this. So, so, so this is the way I started with, and I, I think it's it's a good way to come into into uh, thinking how how this hardware design works. But uh, from this, uh, the next step, I think it's it's experience from that is required. Yeah, you you need to to work on it. So you do you think I I imagine like two paths from what you you're telling me. One would be to have like a tutorial where you you ask people to, like to implement a very simple core of something that's already out there, but that could teach the basics. That that could be a path. Right, uh, that would of course wouldn't feel so uh, accomplished from the outside, but could give you the basics. And the other would be to just like jump to the to, to the water and, and and jump into the deep. Right? What do you think uh, about that, Alan? Because documenting is and 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 making it accessible and keeping it up to date is really a lot of work, but it's something that's needed. What what would be your thoughts? I started. I started by um, doing, adding the dips before we had the MRAs. Adding the dips for Donkey mm -hmm. Kong because Donkey Kong had been hard coded to something crazy like six lives or eight lives. Um, and wow, did I make so many stupid errors in my first patch? It was just totally useless. But I found bugs that way too. And so um, uh, Jimmy Stone, as I said before, has been. I, I, one of the things early on my list was to do the save the high scores and I had a idea and I finally wrote a state machine and wrote like a real piece of code and Verilog to do it. But then Jimmy Stones has been going through and putting that into all the cores. And again, he is also a software engineer who's just starting out. And it was a good project because I think by the end of this, when he hits every arcade core, he'll really be comfortable and maybe he could then start I don't know what he wants to do, but it could start a new core. So I think both, like you're saying, I think some tutorials that are like the blinky lights 
and we could blink the lights or we could do um, some video. I, I, I've been thinking maybe we just get your name on the screen mm -hmm. or we make the screen red or green or and do some simple drawing tasks. There's also some other really good FPGA tutorials on Twitter that I follow. So I need to pull those together, import them to Mr. or have that be the project to port them to Mr. Um, and so I think the way I see it is twofold. Like, I think it's impossible to start just build a really complicated mm -hmm. core. I mean, people have done it, I'm impressed. But I think the way to do it is, yeah, simple core, like blinking the lights, but in the Mr. framework, which is probably you know, using some of the framework, and then taking tasks from people that are kind of maybe boring, but what you'd feel accomplished that need to get done, like the same high score module to six arcade games. And I think, I think that's the way we can try to scaffold people up. Um, and then what I'm wondering is if we can get, I would love to know about, about and have a tutorial from Robert on how he does the emulation and, and how he simulates it. And I, I think, um, I, I think what we could do maybe is bring different members of the community. Like, uh, Frank Bruno just wrote a book. He's a SpaceX guy. And that book, I've just I've read most of it. I put a review up on Amazon. Um, there's also the 8-Bit Workshop stuff and their video, their book is really cool. So it, it may make sense to bring in other people or other resources and like, have a session or maybe a blog or a GitHub walk people through. You know, uh, there's a lot of us that... Different, top, different topics. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of, of topics to cover. And uh, there's, there's different ways to learn. And there's, uh, I, I've been impressed by people that can learn from theory. And I deeply admire the, the work that you guys do, like also the approaches. Uh, but there's there's people that understand things by doing, and there's people that understand understand things by learning first and doing later. But it's it's important that one understands on which side uh, we have a preference, because it's not like we are purely academic or purely practical. You have to be in this loop, right? I, I don't know. That's why, why how I feel, and. I believe that we need to cover both sides of the spectrum in some way. Having the documentation is really good for, for those that can understand from reading. But maybe, I don't know, having like a live stream of set up the development environment for Mr. And, and people could follow along, right? And just set up and, and build it and build up a very, very simple core. And that would give, give confidence and a, and a follow step for people that are more practical. What do you think about that? Would would that be possible? Could that work? I think we could do a live stream or a Zoom and record the Zoom and then maybe edit it. I I think the um just trying to pay for Zoom, so I feel like I should use it. Um, I think you're exactly right. And for me, I'm much more hands-on person and like to hack and get my fingers mm -hmm. dirty. And I then have to come around. That's where being in just a chat with SpaceX guy was was helpful. And then reading his book, mm -hmm. I, because I hadn't been making so many mistakes and so many problems, like I read his book and a couple of the things in there were like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> now this makes sense. Now I understand. So I think it is, you're exactly right. We need to get something going, get that blinky light, something accomplished, then do a little more theory, especially with the hardware, because as software people, we generally don't have the same hardware mm -hmm. concepts and then spiral again and make something a little more complicated and then do a little more theory. And especially with, um, and then people, you know, you have to get deep into something where then, as I said, when you, the hard part about doing all these computers 
or games like you know the links and the all the stuff Robert's done is you really have to understand that how it worked. So there's usually 20 hours of just staring at like for me that crazy the serial chip was so complicated in the uh, Mac. These are Sun and other computers. It's just staring at that manual, and then eventually, boom, it clicks, and then you understand how it works. And then it's just it's great. So there is a lot of boom, but it also means that our community is awesome because if we wanted to tackle something together, then one person could really work on the serial chip, as silly as it sounds, and another person could handle the video. We could pull together and make something big. So how do you feel about that, Robert? I would say uh, some some tutorial or, or live session. That's that's something that could work. So, for for a small small things like like blinking um, LEDs or something like this, this could work uh, to get uh, new developers into into doing first first FPGA work. Yeah, like uh, having people have a like a virtual machine or or have a a clean setup and install everything from scratch and uh, they can experiment there. It, having the, the the build environment is something that some of us find daunting or or scary and that could help like a being a first step. Yeah, there's, there's one one thing about the, the framework there already. Mm -hmm. So I would say if you, if you start with the complete framework it's the compile takes some minutes. So this will chase away some new developers, yeah. I would say. Because if you if you don't have a simulation, you need to build every time you want to change, for example, a small small fix you want to do. You don't know what you're doing at the start. So you try something and you wait six or seven minutes to try it on the board. So this would, would have made me crazy when I started. So uh, when I began, I, I had a very easy board and the framework was nothing, just just a, an empty file and I could just output whatever I wanted to the pins. And the building took, let's say, 20 seconds mm -hmm. for this FPGA. So I could type in the code, wait a short amount of time and see what it does on the board. And I think that- Yeah, that's better. Really helpful to yes. But uh, I think it doesn't bring you into the framework yet. So that's two steps, I would say. The, the framework, I think, right now is, what, six minutes or something? It's like six minutes or something to compile the template. What? It's less. Uh, he, he mentions... Well, Robert, I, I, Robert, I was just saying I'm agreeing with you. I think it's, what, six, ten, six minutes or something to compile just the template core. And, uh, well, regarding that... Uh, do you need a fairly modern computer to do that? I would say it doesn't matter too much in the end. If it takes six minutes or 10 minutes or four minutes, you can't really wait on that. If you're doing something else, if it takes uh, five minutes or longer, you don't stare at your screen and wait until it's done. <laughs> Usually. You wouldn't do that. So you get uh, you get your your thoughts are out of the things you are done. You have done. You maybe switch to something else. You come back, and it's really helpful to have things. Um, you write it down. You test it. You write something else. So I would say this really helps getting the loop of improving uh, the first steps much much faster. 
Can I ask a question? Robert, do you, um, you said you write a software simulation for the platform. You wrote uh, links from scratch in a 6502, I think is the processor in there, and everything. Yes. And then do you write the core and do you simulate it and simulate the whole core? Or do you go straight to the FPGA? I uh, fully simulated, including uh, booting into the games and outputting uh, the image before I even started the first time on FPGA. And you do that in Verilator, or what tools do you use for that? What is it I'm using? <laughs> okay. And uh, when Verilator, you... I, I'm using VHDL, so there's... Uh, it's oh, got the it. best tool I know of for that. And which one do you use in GHDL, or did you say, or which... So I'm I'm writing my course are all written in VHDL, so ModelSim is is the tool is the best tool I would say. ModelSim. Oh, sorry, ModelSim. Okay, and then do you hook the or do you write your software simulation in a way that you can reuse parts with the HDL, or do you have the software you figure out how things work and then you go straight to VHDL? So uh, what I do is uh, when I write uh, the software, the software emulator first, I have, um, have an export of pretty much everything. So let's say every uh, CPU register, timers, uh, EMA register, whatever, to a text file for every clock cycle. And I have the exact same output for the FPGA simulation in VHDL, the same output. And I compare then with a compare tool to see for every cycle if it behaves exactly the same as the software emulator I have written. So the software emulator I have written for the Lynx Core, for example, it's very, very slow. So you would expect a Lynx Core emulation on a PC, it, it runs, uh, let's say, 10 times speed, but uh, mine doesn't. It, it runs maybe, if I'm lucky, if, if I have luck with, with the game, it runs at 100% speed. So it's very slow because it calculates every single cycle. It behaves much like uh, uh, Eigen for the uh, SNES in, in, this, uh, in this area. So for every clock cycle, I can do the export and I do this in VHDL with the simulator, compare them and see if they behave uh, the same. And if they do until, let's say, I'm so deep into the game that I can see something, then it's time to go to the hardware because it should work. That's really cool. That's really cool. Now, have you built any of these where you hook the model sim up like you would write, let's say, just processor and model sim and then use the software for the rest or not sort of do it modularly that way you tried to like you ha you haven't you know I, okay because i've been thinking for some of the more complicated computers of i i noticed that the way they got the scuzzy hard drive working on the mac was they actually simulated the mac using the software simulator and then they just sent the bus calls to a simple little simulation and then they wrote the Verilog for the SCSI. And that way, the Mac ran at real time. And it just was simulating like just the SCSI chip and the SCSI controller. And I just thought that was interesting. But 
the problem is to use existing emulators, as you can imagine, is really you end up having to write your own because they don't aren't gonna have the right interfaces to look like hardware. Yeah. So getting the interfacing there, it's it's really difficult. So I, I haven't done this. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. Uh, from the chat, we get if uh, always choice matters. Do you have a, an OS preference, or do you live that that it should be in a certain OS to have access to everything, all the tools? What's the question? To, oh, me? to 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 both of you. If uh, sorry, I didn't address it directly, but now Robert, uh, do you believe the operating system choice for development is important? So, I'm probably one of the rare cases uh, who uh, only works on, on, on Windows system, so I cannot really comment on that. I have run into several issues with it, mm -hmm. with uh, some software not, not working well there, or being difficult to compile there, but uh, I haven't worked on anything else much in, in the past, so I only feel comfortable with it. I, I've run Portis on, started on Linux, I've been, since quarantine, I'm not at home, I've been using Windows. I find the Windows, I think, a little bit easier to hook to the board to get it to debug sometimes, although I have got it to work. And I've run it on my Mac, mm -hmm. two different ways on my Mac, um, which is crazy. And in fact, when I've gone and done speed tests, the Mac's not really that much slower. So it's totally doable. I am a, would much rather be on Linux, but... I'm actually quite happy in the Windows environment now. I've got it all working. So I would say the answer to your question is it doesn't matter at all. I think, and especially because the compiles take six, 10 minutes, I think you can be in whatever you're comfortable with. Mr. The C side, if you want to work on the firmware, it compiles under um, Linux. It compiles in a Docker. It compiles on Windows, a little trick. Um, but I don't think that there's any I don't think it matters. I think people can do it. Well. That's that's really good to know because it, it opens up everything to, to the community. Everyone. And you were talking about uh, how you handle those uh, six minutes compile time, right? And do you feel that you lose focus or you get used to it or you could be doing something else? Uh, I, I believe that I would be I would find a bug in my code while I am waiting for the compiled and revealed eternally. That really happens from from time to time. So you you uh, insert something, some debug signals or uh, some some probing to find uh, the problem, and until the build is, is through, you maybe already found it in mm -hmm. the code. So the six minutes is for more or less an empty project. But if you go for for the larger course, it easily takes fifteen or thirty minutes there. So you really have time to search for yourself. That's, that's, that makes it a really interesting case of uh, detachment in a way and, and uh, also analysis, right? For when you're ready to build something and just like build procedurally. I, I tend to, when I, when I develop in C, I tend to compile every single function, right? And uh, that's not the way that this would work. But it, it works this way if you are uh, working together with a simulation, mm. in fact. So that's it's the main reason I'm doing this, because in simulation, you often have the result in maybe 10 seconds. 
or 20. And that's great. The simulation itself is, is really slow, but uh, it compiles in like two or three seconds, mm -hmm. a whole project, and you can run it. And if there's a problem, you maybe see it fast. And uh, if you only work on the hardware, you have to wait for the build. It, it's a strange set of trade-offs because as Robert's saying, if you run the simulation, it compiles really fast, but it runs really yeah. slow. And the FPGAs in, in a lot of cases were designed for hardware people to run the simulations faster. <laughs> so, so the FPGA runs really fast. The other kind of crazy thing is, well, you can also syntax check. If a project takes 15 minutes to build, syntax checking it might only take four. Um, and so often you'll run it, see the error, like you're saying, you don't necessarily need to stop it, but you'll fix the error, maybe stop it and never let it get through the 20 minutes, at least for me, because I'm not that good. Um, and then sometimes because it's so single core driven, this is all really a problem with the software. I think the software is just kind of lousy, Cordis. Um, for a while, I would compile four, three or four arcade games at the same time, because um, it wasn't any slower yeah. like clock time than compiling one. Um, but it, it is interesting, and, and that's why I was asking Robert about techniques where maybe we, on the software simulation, a regular software simulation for most of it, and only do the hardware simulation for like one chip at a time or one part. But it, it's hard to get that to work right. Well, uh, to speed things up uh, for the for the Lynx core, I, I had a, a technique implemented to have um, safe states already there when I did maybe 10% of the code, uh, I already had them implemented. Mm. So I could create a safe state in the software simulator, uh, in the emulator, which is- That's that's really clever. Maybe 1000 times faster. You can get to whatever point you want. And you load this safe state into the FPGA simulation in ModelSim, and you are directly at this point. So you don't have the problem of slow simulation because you are already there where you want to go. So maybe I, I take the safe state 10 CPU cycles before, I'm already there and I can compare what happens. That's awesome. So I have cut all this, this time away. It, it took and the bug fixes too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm super impressed with your safe state and rewind and fast forward because you, I mean, you have fixed so many of the, pro I mean, you by adding this amazing feature that the community loves, you've made it so much easier for to bug, right? Someone can send you a save state and you be right in the right place to find the bug. It's amazing, right? And reproduce it. It's just great. And also helps uh, while development, as he mentions, right? Because he could just get yeah. the save state in hardware and, and debug it in software in the simulation. That's, that's really nice. Yeah. It's fabulous, yeah. And uh, regarding that, uh, we didn't we didn't uh, touch on the what what kind of skills people would need uh, would would help in needing like I don't know scripting or or would you recommend having certain background for for going into this? What what would help, uh, Alan? I think um, no, I mean I I think just try it and see if you love it and. Um, no, I, I don't think you need a particular background. I think, I think um, I'll I'll put something together and and work with uh, Sension to announce it, and and we'll That's just awesome. see. 
who, you know, we'll just try it. And anyone, I just recommend everyone try it, whether they think they can do it or not. And, and we'll try to get a group of people and we'll do some of this. We'll take a first advice and try to do something blinky simple that compiles fast and, and we'll move from there. That sounds great. Um, I'm guessing you don't think uh, there's any other requirements, uh, uh, Robert, or, or do you have any other opinion on that matter? I would say if, if you not really hated uh, mass at school, uh, you're probably, uh, you, you can probably do it. <laughs> if you always hated mass, it's maybe not the thing to do. But uh, also one, one interesting thing I always uh, noted is that the people who like to play games have some way of logical thinking. And that really helps uh, development of uh, of this hardware logic also thinking uh, in this in this way. Yeah, it kind of of uh, it's it's interesting that many of us started as as players and ended up as developers in some way, right? It, it's not always the case because I also have uh, other people at college that didn't play games. But the most passionate ones, I, I, I'm generalizing, of course, but tended to feel like to be the, the kind of people that loved uh, the logic in games, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, it's, not, it's not uncommon. Yeah, it's not uncommon. And, well, uh, I, I, another question that I have is um, regarding the... the I already think I know the answer, but uh, people in the audience would, would would probably be interested. Do you do you play in your mystery? Do you play games, or do you only use it for development? I I understand that that's difficult in in general, but what's what's your approach? I don't play nearly as much as I should. I keep thinking I should hook one to a TV. I I do want to put it. I'm thinking about getting one of these JAMA boards and getting a cabinet. Mm. Um, I think I should. I need to get it on a big TV or something. And you, Robert? Yeah, I I play some games from time to time. I played quite a lot of games when the GBA core was done. Played some of them uh, when the community community said this is a great game. For example, the, the Castlevania games were often discussed when the GBA core came out and I never played them before so I thought I, I look also into them and I also played them and some others too but uh, not much recently and uh, regarding that has there been a game that has surprised you in terms of how it used the hardware and had you wondering how they do that even though you worked on the core has that ever happened that's really interesting I often when I play a game I think about how does it internally work now? No, I know how the system would work, but how does this game do these effects or whatever inside the game? I often think about it when I play it. And unfortunately, I often don't have any solution for it. <laughs> so just doing the base system doesn't mean you understand how the software is using it. Yeah, of course. And, and the same thing happens the other way around, right? And uh, Alan, you mentioned the JAMA adapters, right? Like Mystery Kate, Jimix, and another JAMA board adapters. Do you have a cabinet? I have a main cabinet that's not like a real yeah. cabinet. And I have um, 
actually have my only game, real game, is a Mr. Do cocktail. So I would have to get a cabinet. Um, and it was so exciting to see the Mr. Do come out, even though I have one. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, 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 it's so have you, I, I saw you were active in that. And uh, what do you, can, can you tell us about that uh, development? Because there was a lot of uh, kernel fixes for Linux, right? The bouncing. What, what kind of work have you done on that side? On which side? And, uh, for for these kind of adapters. Oh, oh, I don't. Well, I mean, I think someone was it Antonio or someone sent me one of the first adapters, and it had a kernel problem that with the joystick adapter he was using it didn't look like two joysticks. So I fixed that. That was trivial. Luckily, it was just uncomment one line in the kernel. Um, but otherwise, no, I haven't worked on those boards. I. I, I, oh, it's the flip that's the issue, mm -hmm. right? So the problem is the tape mode with the counterclockwise and clockwise issue. And so that, you know, a bunch of people have been complaining. And so it's something that we've always said, and so our, our Alexi's always said, like, oh, it's not possible. The games didn't do that. And it's true that originally the games just randomly were mounted one direction or the other. Um, I took it upon myself to try to add flip for a couple of games that didn't have it. And then... Um, Black Wine came out of nowhere on Twitter and did some of the harder ones. And like Pac-Man was driving me crazy. I couldn't get Pac-Man working. But it's been great. I think most of the... We were going to go for a clockwise flip, but the new arcade games are all counterclockwise because we just did the math and most of them were most of them were, were clockwise. We thought, okay, if we can fix the last few counterclockwise, at least you could set your monitor one way. But now I think it's going to work with... I, I think we'll have almost all of them flipped. A couple games... Uh, are really not possible, but see, maybe it's, it's an interesting issue for people that are not familiar with this. I encountered this as a PCB arcade collector, and uh, well, you have a cabinet, you have say fifty boards, uh, vertical boards, uh, the ones that you have to flip your monitor, and obviously you don't want to be flipping the monitor all the time, so you have very few solutions. Either you have one of these cabinets that. The, that have the CRT mounted with a mechanism to rotate it because developers or, or companies didn't have a standard for for rotation like like Alan said, either clockwise or counterclockwise 90 degrees, right? And the other solution, aside from having this mechanism uh, on, the, on the cabinet itself, is to have switches to flip the joke. That's what I ended up doing because I, I made this list of, of the PCBs and said, Okay, I have no solution. Like 60% turns to the right and 60% turns to the left, right? And uh, I ended up uh, placing this dual uh, flip switches to, to switch the joke. But that's not a solution that I'd recommend to people. And the solution here is to have it, uh, the, the mister uh, flip it. And uh, what's the philosophy? Because this is not something that the original hardware did. They sometimes had dip switches to flip the game and sometimes even in software well soft dips uh from that were saved to eeprom that would allow the game to be flipped in either side but this is like uh mister has has made it in in many ways right improving the the hardware in, in some way to have quality of life services uh how do you present this to a user is it a common front to have it like this is what the original hardware does and this is the improvements how how is this presented that's a good idea I, we haven't really separated it the same with the save the high scores it's kind of funny because people would put a high score 
save kit on some of these mm -hmm. machines or a pause button. Um, and you did something with the yoke. So I think people have always modified these. So these are kind of, like you said, quality of life modifications. I haven't thought about separating. We could totally label them, separate out like what's original yeah, and what's not. Thank you for a preservation perspective. Um, I don't know. Yeah. No. yeah, I mean, we can. I don't know how important that is. And, and it does, yeah, and it, it does bother me a little bit where, yeah, sometimes we go into the graphics code and really <laughs> put some modifications into, you know, subtract the, the height off of everything or whatever. Yeah. But, a lot of them are not so bad because they have cocktail modes. And in a couple of them, all I had to do was um, basically invert the cocktail mm -hmm. mode and then everything flips upside down. So sometimes it's really easy. And how do you feel about this, Robert, about improvements to the hardware? Robert? So to uh, improvements to, to existing yeah, hardware. Like so, in, the, in the core. Uh, going beyond, mm -hmm. uh, beyond the possibilities of, of the real hardware. Mm -hmm. So, so this is uh, something that I'm really interested in. So some of you have maybe seen the, um, the, uh, the HD mode for, for the GBA core. And this is one of the features I, I really love to work on. So doing something the original console had, is, was never able to do. And um, I, I really like to work on, on such things. But uh, it should always be uh, optional, mm -hmm. of course. So you can go back to uh, to, the, to the original feeling. Yeah, I I, I fully agree, and it's um, it's I believe that if we have the possibility and the will to do it, it 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 should be explored. And uh, having it doesn't mean that it's not proper. You can always place it as an option, as as mentioned before, and and have it both ways right we we can get it both ways uh, yeah it's uh, it, sh it should always be uh, it should always be an option and usually you have that i i'm not aware of any core that has uh, such features and it's not uh, you are forced to use them mm -hmm. in a way fast forward and rewind are exactly that and safe states right they're extensions to the hardware Yes, that's that's something that the hardware is not able to do, in, but it, it helps the user in a way to get a better experience from from the system. Not sure if, if rewind is really in this category, but fast forward is mm -hmm. for me. It, it's uh, it's really important for me as I've used emulator so long now, and the first thing I search is how can I skip those cutscenes or text boxes or, or whatever to to get a better feeling of the game so I, I don't like being forced by the game to to watch something or or such things so it's, I, I really like to to go over that and it's really a, an improvement to to make a better experience not for everyone I know that not everyone will will uh, like that but uh, who do uh, like it should be able. Yeah, I, I fully agree. So uh, we're, we're, we just passed the two-hour mark. I know that's what we had scheduled. I, I can stay longer if you want to, but I understand that uh, people have things to do and we are in different time zones. Uh, so how, how do you feel? Do you have any, any stuff? We, we have a lot of stuff in the, in the list that we could discuss. 
But any, I don't know, closing points or how do you feel, uh, Robert? Uh, I think it's, it was a great, great discussion and uh, really like this, this round here. Good. Uh, Alan, do you have uh, any stuff to, to cover? I, I have tons of stuff and tons of questions, but I, I understand. How, what, what would you like to tell the, the audience here? want to thank everyone for coming and listening and i wanted to thank everyone who's been helping with mr and working on the arcade projects with me uh the usual folk uh mr x jutego and dar of course who've done most of the cores and um pierco who's on fire recently with all of his new cores and ace and null object for his and my coach who helped me on space invaders and all the audio stuff um aguar who's done all those fixes for Millipede and Millipede. Alex, who did that gauntlet core, which is amazing. That thing is great. Darren, who finally did Mr. Do. Uh, Shane's fixed a bunch of stuff. Um, and then SpaceX guy and and everyone else. And if I missed you, uh, I apologize. But uh, it's, it's been fun working with everyone all over the world. And and I think this project's super fun. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 been amazing meeting so much people interested and uh, I don't know such a positive community, and uh, well, uh, I know we we can stay here for hours, but maybe maybe we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, but thank you. I, I in 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 regards to whatever we choose, uh, thank you both for for your time and thank you both for your work. I really admire what what you've done. There's so much that we haven't covered yet, like the, the speed up and cash for the AO46 and all the cores that you've held uh, with uh, Alan for, for Arcade. There's so many of them that I love and uh, so much work on, on TRS and, and the Coco. And uh, we, we didn't cover the, the Game Boy and the frame blending and uh, the chess core. There's so much stuff to, to go over. So thank you in, in for everything that you do. We're, we really appreciate it. And uh, there's also the channels. Uh, you have tweeters. You have, uh, uh, Robert, you have a Patreon as well. We'll have that uh, posted. If uh, people already have them, but we, we'll post them. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, thanks to everybody. Uh, thanks to Sentient. Uh, thanks to Risha and, and everyone on the, on the chat and the community. And I hope that we we have a one uh, another program like this. Thank you.